to Making Love with your host, Colette Milan. All of us want to be loved. In this show, we'll explore how lovemaking really does make more love in your relationship and how essential real love is to good sex. Tune in for advice on how to become a better lover and how to love sex more. Here is Colette Milan. Hello. Welcome to Making Love Radio. I'm Colette Milan, and I'll be your host. I'm a psychotherapist, a marriage counselor, and a certified sex therapist. But the most important credential I have is that I've been married for 38 years, and I've experienced firsthand the many challenges that bombard and wear down intimate connection. I've learned how to work through those challenges, how to really unconditionally love and how to make more love in my relationship through the skills of delicious lovemaking. In this show, I'll explore with you how to have true love and great sex. In these shows, you'll learn how to really love, how to become a better lover, and how to enjoy sex more. You'll see how lovemaking really does make more love in a relationship and how essential real love is to good sex. In today, to, in today's show, we are going to talk about female sex drive, what affects it, and how to keep it thriving. My guest today is Dr. Diana Hoppy. Dr. Hoppy is a board-certified OBGYN in Encinitas, California. She is the award-winning author of the book, Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. Diana has been called the hormone queen of San Diego because of her success in helping women turn up their sex drives by balancing and optimizing their hormones. She also has been featured on the Dr. Oz show. I am so thrilled to have Dr. Hoppy on our show to tell us about her book, Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You, and to share with us her expertise about what affects female sex drive and what you can do if you're a woman with low sexual desire to get your libido blazing again. Welcome, Dr. Hoppy. Thank you so much, Colette, for that wonderful introduction. Thank you for having me. I, yeah, I am so excited to have you on our show. I have read your book from cover to cover, and I am fascinated by the things that I've been learning. And so I am really excited for our audience to be able to tap into your expertise. So let's begin. First of all, I'm curious. I want to ask you, what made you decide to, to write the book, Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You? Yeah, that's a great question because people ask me that all the time. And really it had to do with, uh, at the time, in the late, uh, let's see, 2008, 2009, I was doing clinical trials on different medications. And one of the medications was looking at decreased female sex drive. And the medication is mm-hmm. now out. It's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I. And it, oh. I was doing clinical trials with women, both premenopausal and postmenopausal, looking at decreased sex drive in this medication. And when I did mm-hmm. my research, I was seeing how many women were actually having problems with decreased sex drive. So I went to Barnes & Noble and said, are there any books on this, you know, just to mm-hmm. see what was out there. And there were no books about this subject. It was really about, like, how to have better orgasms and the Kama Sutra and, and things like that, which, which are 
in itself great, but nothing really to go at what happens even before you step into the bedroom. Like, what are the thoughts that a woman goes through that have make her drive higher or lower? And so that's what kind of propelled me to write the book, and it was a... It was definitely a journey. So it was, and I'm really proud about the book, and I'm just happy that you read it and that other people are really interested in it. And I do think it has some really valuable information that explains about what makes up a woman's sex drive. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. There were so many things that I hadn't realized that are in your book. So I just want to say, in your book, you say that having a good sex life is extremely important. Why is it that having a good sex life is so important? Yeah, and when I say sex life, and I want to just clarify, it just means intimacy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a, be having intercourse every day or something yeah. like that. It's, it's really being intimate with your partner and honest and having mm-hmm. a really close relationship because that's what we find where, like, heart disease is decreased if you have a good relationship rather than a, one with friction in the sense of you're not getting along and there's discord. So for your health specifically, it, prevent, it promotes excuse me, longevity. So it's going to actually increase your lifespan because you're going to have less stress, and that actually helps increase your lifespan. And it decreases depression. We all know that when we feel loved and we give love, we actually feel better about ourselves, and we have less depression. Sex also boosts the immune system. So interestingly that they find different... um, immunoglobulins that help with fighting off different colds and viruses are increased when you're having intimacy and incorporating that into your life. And the first chapter actually goes into eight reasons why sex is good for you. So the other reasons it improves your brain health because it increases blood flow, and that's part of the brain too, and vaginal health. So a lot of women during perimenopause and menopause may have some vaginal dryness or some symptoms of pain with intercourse. Having actual intimacy will increase the vaginal blood flow, which will actually help the vaginal tissues. And it's healthy for the body, and I actually have a little chart with how many calories you can burn <laughs> while having sex compared to other things. And so it's kind of funny when you look at how active you might be participating in that actual activity, let's say. And then it also helps relieving pain and, and emotional wounds. So it's really about intimacy and being honest with yourself and your partner and having a really great connection because that helps health in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know how we are busy um, and how, you know, we all know we should exercise, but we, it's really important to be making love, too. So sometimes, you know, you want to, you, you know, sometimes it actually is even better for you to choose to make love rather than exercising on, on certain days. So thank you for sharing so much about that. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, I'm in the field, too, uh, working with sexual desire, and uh, I work with a lot of couples, and I've had a lot of couples ask me, what is the typical frequency for having sex? And what do you tell people when they ask you that? Yeah, that's a, another interesting question, and that I think it, it varies, and it varies depending on what's happening in, in your life, what's happening with stress levels. There's so many things that go into a healthy sex drive. And then frequency, and there's really not a number I give to people. It's really what works for them at that period of time. Because we know life happens, and a lot of things can be thrown at us, and sometimes we're not, we may not be that thinking about sex because we have so many other things on our plate. 
But actually making time to have intimacy, to have time where you enjoy your partner is really important. And so the number I don't get that fixated on, I really say the quality of time that you spend with your partner is really important. And if it's not necessarily making love, it could be walking on the beach, it could be listening to music together. I mean, doing things that you feel connected and really then that probably leads to more romance and leads to more lovemaking. Yes, and I totally agree. And even though we both feel that way, you did have a part in your book that this would be fun for people to actually buy your book (laughs) and see it. You talked about how, you know, the U.S., people in the U.S. rank with other people in the world as far as how often people are having sex. And that's one thing about your book. You have a lot of really interesting little little thoughts and facts and things like that. So anyway, I thought that was interesting how you talked about that in your book. Yeah, thank you. mm -hmm. And I also tried to make the book a little bit more um, likable, like friendly, easy to read, and a little more fun. Because, you know, with life, we have to have a sense of humor and have some fun. So I put some nice quotes in there, too. So I tried to make it so that people could pick it up at whatever chapter and just start reading and gain a lot of really cool information. And that it, that is so right. That's exactly how I read it. You know, I'd pick it up and I'd read one part and then pick it up and read another part and just found so many interesting um, uh, thoughts and, and, again, so many inspiring quotes. So, anyway, um, in your book, you talk about orgasm and you talk about how orgasm strengthens the bond between lovers and Um, Of course, orgasm is very pleasurable, it releases sexual tension, and uh, it really does make us feel closer and more connected after we've had that experience. But you also said something that I thought was really interesting, um, especially because, you know, my whole clientele is couples that are coming in for help with their sexual relationship. And some of those couples are... Um, wanting to get pregnant and I've had Mm -hmm. some women that have come into me that want to get pregnant but they uh, are having problems with low sexual desire and they don't really see the value in orgasm for themselves you know they just want to get pregnant and Mm -hmm. I I found this little fact from you that I hadn't realized that I'm going to tell all my you know female clients that want to get pregnant that it might actually help them if they have an orgasm Can you share a little bit about that, why it is that orgasm actually helps maybe in the process of getting pregnant? Absolutely, and and it's it's a very interesting um, process in that when you have sex in general, in the man's semen, in the ejaculate, there's actually prostaglandins that make the uterus contract also. But when a Mm. woman has an orgasm with sex, it makes the uterus contract at a certain frequency, and that frequency helps propel the sperm just go through the cervix and into ascending up the uterus into the fallopian tube. So at mid-cycle, like most women have a 28-day cycle, let's say, at day 13, 14, that's when ovulation occurs, that's when the egg's released. And so the cervical mucus makes that kind of uh, egg whitey really, it's, it's very favorable for sperm to penetrate and ascend into the cervix and then go to the fallopian tube. So all those factors together with orgasm helps propel actually the semen, the sperm, to go into the cervix and then help with actually 
uh, fertilization of the egg, which is pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. Um, that helped me, you know, give women even more incentive <laughs> for investing right, into right. their, they their before, love I mean, life. <laughs> <laughs> and and a, lot yeah. of this infor- a lot of the stuff I got, I, I took a great class when I was at UC Berkeley. I did undergrad, mm-hmm. and it was a reproductive physiology class. And oh so the things you learn are just, like, phenomenal. And this was one of the things I learned there. And then some scientists have actually shown that the contractions – um, help the semen, the sperm actually ascend. So I had wow. to give kudos to that class because it was a really amazing course I took. Yeah, I'm envious of your education. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, anyway, um, you know, one of the things that I found was so interesting about your book is where you talked about how sexual desire increases and decreases at various stages in a woman's life. And um, so I want to have us talk a little bit about that because you're very knowledgeable about how as a woman goes through her life, her sexual desire ebbs and flows depending on her hormones. So let's start out with the, um, the very beginning, you you know, um, there's we start out as little girls, and then we hit puberty. And what happens to a girl's hormones when she hits puberty, and how how does that affect her sex drive? So what happens at puberty is that the hypothalamic pituitary system, which is the brain, mm-hmm. and the ovaries start and the uterus start working together, so that we start having menstrual cycles. So puberty is when the menarche occurs, which means the first period. And so mm-hmm. the body is now adjusting to making hormones, specifically estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, that will make the egg, so the ovary ovulate, and then um, allow the lining of the uterus to accept the fertilized egg if that should happen. So at puberty, what's happening for a lot of teenage girls, they're just feeling like, what's happening to my body? Because a lot of body changes are happening also, like mm-hmm. breasts and then um, hair and the underarm, et cetera. So there's a lot of things happening in their bodies, which can also cause some self-esteem issues and a lot of things happening when hormones are flowing through the body. And for boys, they start having really high testosterone levels. So they're really thinking about sex and, and women and, and that whole aspect. So when you look at a teenage testosterone level of a boy, it's very high. Now, women's is not going to be as high as a boy's uh, teenage girl, but she's going to have fluctuations during her cycle so that at mid-cycle, that testosterone and the estrogen actually peak at that time, which helps increase sex drive during that two to three days. And so that's really how nature makes it so that we have a sex drive when we're most fertile. So that's like to to let the species continue. That's how we can actually pinpoint the time that is most fertile and to achieve pregnancy. It's so fascinating how our bodies know exactly what to do. I know. So, um, and so then we go through our, you know, our menstrual cycle years. And I think it's fascinating how women's hormones are different every day of our of the month and um, how and I'm just I think it's so interesting about the first phase of a woman's menstrual cycle it's called the how do you say it follicular phase yes you said it exactly right follicular phase yay yay and those are the days 1 through 14 of a woman's menstrual cycle and there are some important things that are going on in this phase Um, tell us about that 
about how what's going on with a woman's hormones and how that impacts her sexual desire. Right. So the first few days of the follicular phase is, is the, actually the period, is the period itself, mm-hmm. like for one or five days. Then the, when the brain, the pituitary I mentioned, releases a hormone called FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone. That then goes to the ovary and says, make follicles, make follicles. And so the ovary starts making follicles, and as that happens, the estrogen production increases. And it then peaks at mid-cycle, like I said, and then there's also a surge from the pituitary, excuse me, with LH, another hormone, and that allows for ovulation to occur. So the first phase, the follicular phase, is really kind of getting the ovary to get the follicle, the dominant follicle to be selected, and then achieve ovulation at mid-cycle. Okay. You know, I I work a lot with women with sexual desire. That's my main specialty. And um, I actually have women track their cycle and mm-hmm. also track their sexual desire. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm finding that um, that first week and then the second week, <laughs> you know, women, that's the peak for them is that second week. But the first and second weeks are usually better. They have, they, their sexual desire is increasing. And then again, at the, at the peak, at the ovulation phase, which we are going to talk about when we come back from our break, um, that's when a woman, a woman usually has her highest sexual desire. So anyway, we, we need to take a break now. Um, but um, stay tuned. We're going to be back. We're going to hear more from Dr. Diana Hoppy, author of Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. And Dr. Hoppy will come back and pick back up. We'll talk about the ovulation phase. And um, we're going to learn more about the different things that impact female libido and what we can do to have a stronger, healthier sex drive. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. 
Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Making Love with Colette Milan. We'd love to hear from you today with your questions and comments. Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to makingloveradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Making Love Radio. I'm your host, Colette Milan. I'm here today with Dr. Diana Hoppe, author of Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. We were just talking about uh, the female monthly cycle and how a woman goes through these different phases during the month where her hormones line up differently and there are times that she has higher sex drive than other times. And Diana and I were just talking during the break about how it helps when a man can know um, what to expect in a woman's cycle. That's why it's really great if a woman can track her sexual mm-hmm. desire because usually there's a pattern, you know, and it is hard when a woman, when a man doesn't know, <laughs> you know, but if he can kind of know during the first phase and especially during ovulation, uh, that will be a great opportunity for us to make love. I, I think that helps. So, Diane, I want to jump right back in. Um, tell us a little bit about the ovulation phase. Right, and I do want to just reiterate what you said about the men, because men tend not to have these fluctuations. Men only have a high testosterone level, and it doesn't fluctuate, per se. They're not doing the ovulation that they're making sperm, and it's a continual process. Not as cyclical as a woman's hormonal shifts. So for a man to understand what's happening during the cycle will really help the relationship because it, sometimes hormones can affect behavior. We know that. And so a man being more in tune to his partner and what's happening can really alleviate a lot of, um, potential problems when it's just really a, a communication issue and hormonal issue. So yes. back to the yes. ovulation, that is when the ovary ovulates, which is what releases the egg, and again, like you mentioned, the estrogen and testosterone peak at that time. So a woman's desire is going to be highest during that time in general. Then the next phase, what happens is called the luteal phase, and that is when the ovary starts making progesterone, and the progesterone is to help the the lining of the uterus stay stable. So the whole uterus and ovary, their function is really to try to get pregnant. And then once the egg is fertilized, it can then implant. So the second part of a woman's cycle is when she's making more progesterone. And this can be times when there might be more sluggish lists, like less, less energy. Progesterone is a very more sedating, calming kind of hormone. And so she may not be that into sex during this period of time. And then the hormones will drop and then that's going to cause the lining of the uterus to slough off, and that's what equals the menstrual cycle or the period itself. Yes, and um, from what I've seen, that last week 
and even the last half of a woman's monthly cycle. It's a time when, like you said, um, a woman doesn't have as much sexual desire because of the progesterone. And, you know, I've been thinking about the comparison between male and female sexual desire. And what I've learned is that testosterone is spiking into a man's bloodstream about every 15 minutes. (laughs) And, you know, and we women, on the other hand, every day of the month, you know, we're at a different place. And there are times where we we don't have the hormonal foundation to even really support our sex drive during that time. So it can make a lot of frustration between men and women. And there's such also a difference between the amount of testosterone that men have that gives them that compelling sex drive uh, compared to how much testosterone we have as women. So anyway, when I read in your book about how we women go through these these different phases, I found it very fascinating. And I want to encourage everybody in the audience to get Diana's book and read about this because it will really help you and I also think it would be great if you do track your cycle so let's go on now Diana to what happens during pregnancy hormonally to a woman right so pregnancy is a whole nother chapter of a woman's life and that's where um Basically, the, the fetus is growing and the baby's growing. And for some women, their sex drive can actually increase during pregnancy. The first mm-hmm. 12 weeks, there's more like nausea and some, you know, um, so sometimes symptoms. So maybe the first, first uh, trimester is not the most for desire. But as the pregnancy goes on, a lot of women will actually have more sexual desire. And that's due to the hormone levels of estrogen and progesterone. And then as, as late as it gets closer to term, some women may not be as into sex because just their bodies have changed so much and the baby, where the baby's sitting, can sometimes just make it more uncomfortable. But there's many women who they try to induce their labor by having sex. And that's, again, with the release of the prostaglandins that I mentioned, which, mm-hmm. which are inside, which are in the semen, as well as if she has an orgasm, that's going to cause uterine contractions. So sometimes women's sex drive will increase right around the time where she's going to go into labor. So it's, it's definitely variable, and that's one thing I want to make a real good point about is that a woman's sex drive fluctuates. It's not always really high or always really low. And that Mm -hmm. I wrote the book also for women to understand that it's okay that it fluctuates, that you don't have to always be, you know, what they have on TV, like sex in the city. You see kind of (laughs) unrealistic portrayal, you know, of a woman's sexuality, I think is sometimes, and that it can change, it can fluctuate, depends what's happening in your life and that it's okay to not have that much desire at certain times, but it's nice to have a great relationship and know that the benefits of making love and having a good sex drive. That's great. I totally agree with you. I love the way that you say, you know, just accept it. Allow the ebb and flow of female sexual desire and libido. So one thing that my husband found very fascinating about your book, I had the book sitting around and he picked it up and and was starting to read it. And he said, you've got to read this part, you know, where Dr. Hoppy talks about the mommy brain. And then there's also a part where you talk about the daddy brain. Tell us more about that. Right. And first, let me give you uh, congratulations for being married 38 years. I mean, that's, oh. like, <laughs> that's a feat in itself. So that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, so the mommy brain, what I refer to there, and I think a lot of moms can kind of like 
understand this is that when in pregnancy, like the second and third trimester, progesterone levels get really high. And the progesterone is a more sedating, as I said, less, more kind of calming. And sometimes your brain can literally feel foggy. You know, like you're like, why can't I remember these things? And, and so the mommy brain, it, it basically, during pregnancy, it, it can happen that things get a little bit more foggy. And then when the pregnant, then afterwards the baby's born, and then it really depends on sleep and a lot of other things that affect the brain function of, of a newborn um, and the mom. And daddies, what's interesting is the four weeks, like about 36 weeks of, of gestation of the mother being pregnant, the daddy basically starts making more prolactin, and that helps decrease testosterone, which in turn makes it more likely for the man to be around. So it's kind of an evolutionary thing when you think about the man who impregnated the woman, he wants his genes to be transferred, right? So in order for him to like be there and not be doing other things, let's say evolutionarily, being with, trying to mate with other, wi- other women, he's going to stay there with the pregnant mom, the one he actually had a child with, and then after the baby's born, the prolactin levels for a man will decrease and the testosterone rises again. So it's a really interesting phenomenon where a man's testosterone level will decrease around the time when a woman is going to have going to labor. Wow. See, this is why I have you on this show. I mean, who would know that? So this is just such a fascinating little tidbit. So, and there is so much in your book. So I'm just going to have you briefly now talk about what it's like for a woman and what her sex drive is like after the birth of her baby. And and then... um, and I'll, t- I'll ask you a little bit about perimenopause and menopause, but then I really want to go on to how um, the male and female brains are so different and how that really sets us up for having these very different uh, approaches to our sexuality. So, But let's go back. So after the birth of a baby, what happens to a woman's hormones and how does that affect her sexual desire? Yeah, and this is another part I think that men could understand it would really help because if a woman is breastfeeding, she's making more prolactin and prolactin helps with milk production. But when you're breastfeeding, your hormones will shut off. That is, the estrogen and progesterone are not going to be very high because the prolactin is making the milk. And so you're really in kind of stopping that hypothalamic system, that, that kind of cycle that I was mentioning before. So prolactin causes a decrease in estrogen and progesterone. This can cause a lot of problems in the sense of vaginal tissues. The vaginal tissues can get really dry and thin. So a woman, she's really focused on the baby during that time of bonding with the baby with the prolactin, which releases oxytocin. And oxytocin helps with breastfeeding, and it also helps with the feeling of, like, well-being and at peace. So a woman can really bond with the baby. But sexuality-wise, her drive is going to be much less, and the vaginal tissues are not going to be that receptive because they're going to be much thinner. So a lot of women, they, I think the men say, well, she doesn't have a drive. Well, it's because of what's happening hormonally, too. So the prolactin and the estrogen relationship there. Yes. You know, um, I remember when I had my children and I was nursing forever, and mm-hmm. I remember my husband just 
looking at me with that look like, are we ever going to have sex again, you know, and kind of attributing it to mm-hmm. that, you know, that I'm just kind of a low drive woman, you know, but, and then I found out, you know, there's prolactin and that actually inhibits, you know, um, female sexual desire. So I think that's a really good thing that you brought up for our audience to know about. And then Tell us what happens. There's perimenopause and there's menopause. Tell us the difference between those two and what's happening to our hormones during that time and how that affects our sexual desire. So perimenopause means the years before menopause. And basically it's the two to eight years before a woman stops having her menstrual cycle for 12 months. So menopause is defined as 12 months without having a period. And the average age in the United States is about 50 to 51 for menopause. But many women can have symptoms of menopause, like hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, irritability, for two to eight years prior to menopause. So that's called perimenopause. And I have a lot of women, I love this part of treating women who are perimenopausal and menopausal because they have really things we can do to help and a lot of times a physician will look at the labs and say, oh, your labs are fine. You don't need any treatment. But a woman's having hot flashes and night sweats and mood swings. And we can supplement with progesterone, sometimes some estrogen, to balance things so that that doesn't have to be as miserable a period of time. So find someone that can help you with those symptoms and don't let them just say, oh, take an antidepressant or just deal with it. And that, that's part of the reason why I mentioned with you during the break that I'm making a website called Amazing Over 40, and it's to be amazing over 40, 50, 60, and beyond, and it's really how do you live each part of your life the best you can at whatever age you are, and it explains hormones, explains what are the pros and cons, and then really what you should be asking your physician because unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation that's being dealt out, and that's what really drove me to get the website going, and it's going to be launching probably in the next two to three weeks. So right now, you can still go to my regular website, but it will be called AmazingOver40.com. I'm so glad you mentioned that, and that is so needed. And um, I love the way that you're bringing out that, you know, this could actually be a great time in our life. And there are some doctors that we go to that they do. They say, you're in the normal range. You're okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just figure it out. Or, again, like they prescribe antidepressants where really we just don't have the optimal hormones that we need and I mentioned this on another show but I want to mention it again I really was not looking forward to menopause Mm -hmm. but I have to tell you because of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy it's so wonderful to be able to supplement every day with hormones now that I'm in menopause and Mm -hmm. it's so much better than it was when I was cycling because you know before it was my hormones were different every day but now my hormones are consistently optimal every day so our love life is better than ever and my husband and I are happier than ever so um, you know, I, I, I don't think it has to be a time of less sexual desire and vaginal dryness, you know, and things like that. I think it can be a time of optimal connection and intimacy between a couple. Absolutely. So, I, mean, I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. And, and that's where I get somewhat frustrated when a patient comes in and says her doctor just said, you know, deal with the vaginal dryness or, you know, just deal with your hot flashes and not sleeping at night. And so it, it's, it is a time where we can actually flourish and Mm -hmm. 
when, what's interesting is we're not supposed to really live this long. So we live, I mentioned, about till 84 years of age for a woman Caucasian in the United States. In the 1900s, prior to that, we never lived really past 50, and that's when the ovaries pretty much shut down. So a lot of, sometimes I hear from women saying, well, hormone therapy is not natural. Well, it's not natural that we live to 84. I mean, we have technology, (laughs) we have antibiotics, we have all this new science, which is great, but how do you want to live those 30-some years? And that's where the information needs to be put out correctly so that a woman can make a decision, does she want to be on bioidentical hormone therapy or not, and what are the pros and cons. And there's some women who may not need it, absolutely, but there's a lot of women who need it who aren't getting the proper information and the proper care. Exactly, and that's why I'm so glad you're on the show today giving us that information. So now I want to move on to what I think is probably the most fascinating part of your book, uh, and that is the differences in the male and female brain and how that contributes to the differences in male and female sexuality. And so um, one thing that you talked about is that men tend to think more about sex than women do. And um, I think you said in your book that a healthy, vigorous man will have thoughts about sex approximately every one to two minutes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) While a woman will have thoughts about sex once every couple of days, (laughs) (laughs) considering where she is in her menstrual cycle. So could you tell us a little bit more about why that is? Yeah, and it really has to do with testosterone levels in, in men. And so mm-hmm. when when I'm saying every one to two minutes, that's probably at a at a twenty year old, twenty five year old, that kind of age or even teenage when the yeah. testosterone levels are just really skyrocketing. As a man mm-hmm. ages, the testosterone levels will decrease and it's about ten percent per decade from the age of 30 on. So testosterone will decrease. So men will still be thinking about sex, but not as much as when they were a teenager or in their early 20s. So it's really a testosterone effect. And the testosterone and estrogen is what makes a difference in the brain development. So that for men, they're very focused. They're very driven toward the goal. And women, because their brains are different in many ways, but it has to do that we lose focus. Women tend to be multitaskers, have a lot mm. on, their, on their brains and their thoughts. And so in my book, I also go into how it's really good to focus in the, in the bedroom and not be thinking about five other million things that have to get done because that can really knock out a sex drive if you're thinking about all the things that have to be done at the market and the soccer games and everything else. And it's kind of like that's a time where you really, a woman needs to be giving it to herself to be with her partner and really be there, be present for that time. Yes. And you know what? I just hate this because it's time for another break. Um, (laughs) And I'm just, we're right in the middle of this. And I have this other really exciting question to ask you. So everybody stay tuned because we're going to take a break right now, but we're going to come back with Dr. Diana Hoppe, author of Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. And we are going to pick back up with... um, how male and female brains are different and how that makes us different in our sexuality.
think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Second Wind Success, hosted by Gene Garino, is all about helping boomers catch their second wind in business and life. Most of us achieve our greatest success after the age of 50. Life has a learning curve with a few stumbling blocks along the way. As long as you stay committed to your vision and adapt along the way, you'll find the success you're looking for. Tune in to Second Wind Success every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to the Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Listening to Making Love with Colette Milan. We'd love to hear from you today with your questions and comments. Please call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to makingloveradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Making Love Radio. I'm your host, Colette Milan, and I'm here today with Dr. Diana Hoppe, author of Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. And we're talking about the differences between the male and female brain and how that makes differences in our sexuality. So, um, you know, Dr. Hoppe, one thing that I read in your book was that um, the male brain actually has more brain space devoted <laughs> to sexual drive than the female brain. Uh, is, is that right? Yes, you read it correctly, yes. And there's other differences, too, in that 
The one that I really think is, a, is an interesting one is the corpus callosum. That is yes. the bridge between the two hemispheres, between mm-hmm. the left and right hemispheres. And for women, that corpus callosum or the bridge is much wider than a man's. And so when you think about how women can sometimes multitask, sometimes better than a man, it's because men are more focused on one task at a time, but a woman can actually flip from one side of her brain to the other much more frequent, much faster and more frequently. So it's always funny when I think about women being together and talking, they can switch from one topic to the other and they follow it, whereas a man would never be able to stay on track because we're kind of flipping between different parts of the story and and we can do that but a man's going to say wait this this put it in a succinct really concise ways and what happened you know moving on like that way so it's very interesting how communication is also different between men and women Yes, and I think we see that as a real advantage that we have that ability to multitask and and it really does help us a lot with all the demands that we have and all the things that we're trying to do as women, but sexually... Um, when we're making love, <laughs> it right? Can it's not. Kind it's of not sabotages. Like we should, and and I do have a part in the book about multitasking and how it really yes. isn't an advantage. It's actually a disadvantage in the sense of if we. I mean, sometimes you have to just be juggling a few things at one time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what creates more errors and actually more energy being utilized is if you multitask and you're not focused on one thing, you're going to make more mistakes and actually use more energy. So sometimes it's needed that we multitask, but in general, if we can focus just on one thing at a time and specifically in the bedroom, really just be focused on your partner and yourself and, and what's, uh, what's happening and be present, that's really an area where we don't need to multitask. That's right. And that's what I've definitely found um, in my sexual desire, which has really increased and it's the highest it's ever been right now. But one of the things that I do is I really do try to shut everything else out and just stay focused on just being there, feeling the sensations and loving my husband. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up in your book. There are some other things, too, about the female brain and the male brain and how they're different and how they affect our sexuality. What's another thing that you've seen as different about the male and female brain? Well, the female brain, as I mentioned before, has more of a cyclical, like, a, like I talked about the hypothalamus, the pituitary, that mm-hmm. we have changes in the hormones monthly when we're having menstrual cycles, where the man is going to have more of a steady flow of testosterone, and they're not going to have those fluctuations, so that the hormonal kind of axis is different for a man and, and a woman. And also, when you look at different parts of the brain, like called the amygdala, which is a part for fear and aggression, it's much larger in a man than it is for a woman, and that probably is for men in benefit in one sense because they can then fight off their their tiger or the, the beast that's following them or if, they, if it's a territorial thing. So there's brain differences for evolutionary reasons, and it has to do with what happens in utero. That is, when we're little babies, fetuses, what hormone is being kind of marinated in the brain literally like what's what's it being surrounded by and for boy for for men for men it's going to be testosterone and for women it's more estrogen and that's what causes the difference in the in the brain themselves between men and women yes that is is fascinating and then you brought up this other thing about how 
uh, estrogen causes women to experience more stress and we tend to have more vivid memories <laughs> of stressful situations, maybe vivid memories of maybe an argument that we had with our partner and that we tend to retain that memory mm-hmm. longer and that uh, makes it so that we can't forget about maybe a grievance with we have with our partner. We can't relax to just enjoy sex. We have to, we're thinking about that issue that's unresolved and I think you talked about how men are different. Their testosterone kind of blocks the cortisol that uh, comes with stress and so that and then they have that ability to stay focused and so they can move on go right into sex while we're still holding on to our issues and having a hard time going into lovemaking um, is that right absolutely and, and that has to do with a uh, part of the brain called the hippocampus which is for memory and for women when we have a memory it's a very vivid thing it tends to be retained for a while and we can remember details that most men are not going to remember because their brains aren't really coordinated to do that. Now, not to say that men can't remember details, but it's kind of an evolutionary thing where women needed to be able to survey what's happening in the, in the field, what were the kind of plants that were not good, like poisonous plants, what berries were good. So they were like the, the, the gatherer. And so mm-hmm. having memory of certain details, colors, smells, aspects, that's very important for survival. And for man, it's more like a the beast is following them or they have to kill an animal to, to achieve the food for the family. It's more of a focused, linear thing, whereas women is a much more abstract and multi-detailed type of way of how her memory is formed. Yes, and I also thought it was really fun how you were talking in your book about how men usually have more superior navigational skills um, and women tend to be more abstract (laughs) and I can really relate. um, How women think more, you know, as about things more like landmarks. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that my husband's really good at reading a map and knowing how to navigate, and that is just a skill set I don't have. I'm more into, well, it's, you know, there's a Smith's on this corner, and then there's a red house with a black right. door, you know. Right. And that was such a comfort to me to hear you say that that is something that's the difference between the male and female brain, because I just felt like I was just intellectually, you know, inferior to my husband. But I, I think that's a fascinating thing. And then also, um, you talked about how the female brain is hardwired for empathy and how, you know, we just, I didn't realize this. I, I think we all know that women tend to be more empathetic, but, uh, but our brains are really wired for that. And men's brains are more wired, I think you said, for understanding and building systems and learning how things work. Um, tell us more about that and how that affects sexuality and intimacy. Yeah, so again, it goes back to kind of a survival kind of mode that women needed to be able to have that ability to survey different things. And men needed to, their whole goal is to procreate and have their genes spread. So it, it goes to really how the brain works in the sense of evolution and that our species is meant to survive. And for women, they want their young to survive, right? So once the, the baby's born, they want to protect the young and, and move on. Whereas a man from a survival would want to say, let's see how many different women I can 
inseminate, which sounds kind of bad, but it, that's a survival way of how the brain works in that in that realm. Yes. And I, another thing that uh, you talked about as far as female brains is that typically it's more easy for a woman to verbalize her feelings than for a man to. I think you said that in her brain the emotional center is closer to her speech center. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, and I think just for the listeners, that these are generalizations. So it's yes. not to say that a woman can't be a good navigator or a man doesn't have empathy. Yeah, It's just good. in general that we're making these kind of statements so that's bit easier to understand how our brains work. But mm-hmm. with with men again it's their survival. So women empathy they women tend to bond as a group and so we're surrounded with more women and that helps protect us because we're not as physically um strong as a male can be. So women tend to be more in groups and they actually release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone again. So they're bonding with the children as well as their Cohorts, the other the other women, whereas men, the testosterone tends for them to be a little more of a loner in the sense of they're independent. They have a, a job to do. They're going to be singling out and focusing on on one aspect. So it's really interesting how that aspect just socially. And men, I think as boys, they're not really told that they can show emotions. So some of this is actually a nature-nurture type thing, is like the environment that you're raised in. If you had a family that really looked at emotion and expressed it, you're going to be much likely to express that than one that tended to be a little more shut off and emotions weren't really accepted. Mm-hmm. Wow. I... I had so much that I wanted to ask you about today, and we are nearing the end of our show. So I just want to tell the audience, you have to get Diana's book, and um, Healthy Sex Drive, Healthy You. Uh, In the book, some of the things that you can read about is how stress affects female sexual desire, how birth control affects sexual desire, and how health conditions like diabetes and heart disease affect female sexual desire and also uh, male, well, female and male sexual functioning. You, in the book, you'll also learn about medications that can reduce sexual desire and functioning and what you can do to uh, work with those medications um, so that you can increase, ha- at least um, have still have good sexual functioning. Uh, she also talks about some fun things in her book like aphrodisiacs, things that can increase your sexual desire. So I feel bad I don't have more time. This has just been such a great show. And Diana, thank you so much for being on our show. I've learned so much from reading your book and I just really want to encourage everybody to read it. And I want to encourage everyone to go to your website at www dot dr diana dot com and that is www dot d r d i a n a h o p p e dot com and also check out again her website um 
that she's just getting up and going that's going to be amazing and it's called Amazing Over 40 How to Have a Great Love Life Even Over 40 and next week we're going to have a great show with Dr. Greg Bear. be sure to visit our website at www.sextherapyutah.com where you can listen to our shows at any time and learn more about us and don't forget to check us out on Facebook until we meet again have a great weekend And remember, making love really does make more love in a relationship. And real love is essential to great sex. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to join your host, Colette Milan, for another edition of Making Love next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great weekend. And remember these two things. Lovemaking really will make more love in your relationship. And real love is essential to good sex. 